Folks, this episode is sponsored by Spartan Combat. Spartan Combat is now accepting custom team apparel orders for the 2022-2023 season. Go to SpartanCombat.com to order warm-ups, singlets, shorts, and tees for this upcoming season. Now, on to the interview with Charles Martelli. I mean, from the friends I have today to the jobs I have to the lessons I teach my kid, my kids, right? It's like work ethic, integrity, resiliency. Oh, man, resiliency. And just like stick to itness. Those things from wrestling changed my life 100%. There's not a day that goes by I don't think about it. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is Charles Martelli, a two-time undefeated Illinois State champion back in 1997 and 1998. He went on to wrestle at Michigan, where he was a three-time Big Ten placer, three-time NCAA qualifier, and he was a member of those Michigan teams that beat Iowa two years in a row. Charles went on to write a book, How to Become a State Wrestling Champion, which my mom bought for me. Thank you, Mama Jay. Love that book, and it's so crazy to have Charles on the podcast after all these years. Hope you enjoy it. Fan of the Week goes to... Carissa Bassett, who recently bought a Wrestling Change My Life t-shirt. I got to think this is the mother of the great Bo Bassett, stud wrestler out of Pennsylvania. Thank you so much, Carissa, for the t-shirt purchase. Wrestling Change My Life t-shirts are available at store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. And that's it, folks. Let's get to this interview with Charles Martelli. Charles Martelli, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Appreciate your time. I'm excited to dive into this. Illinois guy and author of a book, How to yeah. How to Become a State Wrestling Champion. Let's just start there, man, because I my mom got this book for me, and my mom wasn't a wrestler, and we got the book. I read it, and it was amazing. How did you decide to write that? Well, I tripped down memory lane here. So I graduated college thinking I was going to go into finance and had this job lined up that didn't, didn't work out. And so I started coaching. I was coaching for Sean Bourmet and had some time on my hands. And I had compiled a bunch of notes um, along the way through college. And my dad said, look, what a great experience to learn business. If you, if you put all these notes together, 
write a book, build a website, learn how to sell it, learn how to publish it. And so I did. You know, I took several months to take these notes and put them in an outline, build the book, get feedback, send it out to coaches and, and see what they thought and found somebody to do my illustrations and publish it. Right. And mm-hmm. after that, it was like, well, well, how do I sell this thing? And, and how do I get this knowledge into people's hands? So we started going to tournaments and setting up booths and speaking at uh, banquets and things like that. So it was really just a way to learn how to run a business and, and start something. It was pretty, it's a pretty good, you know, something to do after college. It was a good experience. I love how your dad framed it in the way of learning how to be in business. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. My dad was a businessman. He, he started stuff. He was an idea person. And I look back on that and it's something that I'm trying to do with my kids now. So it was really cool learning experience and uh, I'm thankful for it. It, it took a while and, and I'm glad, you know, you found value out of it. I know I've got a few, you know, hundred copies in people's hands. So yeah, it's pretty exciting. No, I, I definitely did. <clears throat> I specifically remember you guys were huge on mapping out your goals, like really clear goal setting and yes. going into every practice with a goal. Like, do you remember kind of your general thesis and how you divided the book and what some of the topics were? Yeah. I mean, when I think back on it, it was, so when I started wrestling, I started wrestling in sixth grade, right? I started in gym class. There was intramural wrestling. I thought, well, this is pretty cool. And then I might be pretty good at this. And I was behind, right? You know, when I got to college, I realized that a lot of my teammates started wrestling when they were five, six, seven years old. I was 12. Mm-hmm. And I didn't come from a family of wrestling. You mentioned your mom didn't wrestle. My parents didn't. My dad didn't even know what the sport was. And so, you know, he was looking at it going, well, how do I help my son get better faster? And kind of put together this process. And afterwards, you thought, well, I could teach people how to repeat this process, right? So if you are somebody who wants to advance in the sport, but you feel like you're behind, here's how you can go do it, right? Here are the camps that you can go to, and here's how you can leverage your coaches, and here's how you could think about goal setting, and you know, here's how you take notes, and all those little fundamentals that a lot of people just might not think about. It. So frankly, it was just, hey, let's just build a roadmap that somebody can repeat and accelerate faster and get to where they want to go faster. That was really the thought process. Yeah, I found a, a Tribune article where you, it was like during your senior year where you were the defending undefeated state champ and you were just killing people that year. And your dad was quoted yeah. as saying that, that he was, you know, big on like planning and goal setting. You guys set out a map on how to get yeah. where you wanted to go. And it was like make varsity as a freshman, place as a sophomore, yeah. and then, you know, be ready for college by a senior. Tell me about yeah. like the actual plan that you guys put in place and what your like process yeah. was. I mean, it's funny you asked that. I was just, I was just digging through some old, some old stuff. And I found a sheet of paper where we had mapped out these stair steps and it had exactly what you said written on it. And it really wasn't much more complicated than that. It was like, you had to build a vision, right? So we were, how do I think big? Mm-hmm. If I want to go wrestle in big 10 and I want to earn a scholarship, then I've really got to accelerate and I can't wait to my senior year. Right. So I knew that coming into freshman year that I had to make really big gains and put myself in a position in sophomore year to already be on the podium. And if I was on the podium, then I had enough momentum going into the next year to be on the top of the podium was really the thought process. And then if we, you know, take a step back, that meant just commitment. So I used to play football, decided sophomore year that while I love that sport, it was time to give that up and concentrate on wrestling. And, make that a 365 day a year event. And so from 
committing to the sport, finding the right coaches was like the next piece. My, my dad helped me find a number of people around the state that we would commute, you know, an hour plus three days a week, both directions to go get coaching from. And then how do I leverage my high school coaches to put in the extra work and all those elements? So it was like that big macro picture. I'm sure you're familiar with that, right? You're in yeah. sales. Like what is my, what is my big goal for the year? How do I start breaking that down into micro pieces and then the tactics I got to take? And that's really, that's really what it was. And we were fortunate enough that that's how it worked out. So what were you doing like in the spring, summer and fall back then? Were you like working out every day kind of thing, like wrestling with freestyle Greco? So, you know, my freshman year going into high school, I didn't know that freestyle or Greco existed. You know, we didn't come from a wrestling family, right? So um, once I discovered that, I had some teammates take me under their wing and we'd go to these other high schools, Wheaton Warrenville being one of them. And we would, you know, a couple of days a week in the summertime, go practice over there. And when I wasn't practicing over there, I was working out for football. Well, when I decided to stop football, then the training really kicked in, right? So there was a weightlifting program, a conditioning program. After high school season, we figured out what freestyle and Greco wrestling was. And it was, I got to find any high school in the neighborhood to go practice at. I was fortunate to have a, a high school coach that really committed his time with me as well. And would, would go to these practices. And anytime I picked up the phone and said, hey, champ, can we practice? He was there. Anytime. So <clears throat> it was, I mean, and freestyle and Greco ended. And then I was getting in conditioning for the next season. Mm-hmm. And it just, it was, it was a cycle that, you know, it just continued. And you mentioned that you ha- you quit football and that was, that was tough for you because back then Naperville was pretty good, right? Yeah, they were. It's like, how, talk about that struggle and like some of the internal things you felt there when you stepped away from the, the gridiron. I think it was my best sport and I had a passion for it. I played on both sides of the ball. I played on every special teams. I was on the field the entire game. Uh, as a soft, uh, I was moved up to the varsity team going into sophomore year. And so I felt like, you know, I could probably commit to this and do, and do pretty well, but I wasn't getting much bigger than 160 pounds. Mm-hmm. And if I really wanted to compete at a big time university, it wasn't going to be in football. So there, you know, Ryan, there was a, a big internal struggle to say, okay, I really love this thing. And I really love this thing one is a better vehicle to get in for the long term. And so, you know, I, I had to, you know, tell the coach that I got to follow this vehicle that's going to drive me to where I want to go. And it's hard, right? When you're a, a teenage kid, you feel like you're going to disappoint your coach. And all my friends played football. I had very few friends that wrestled. And so I kind of left a lot of those friends behind because every day I was wrestling and working out for wrestling now and mm-hmm. they were doing other stuff. So that, that was hard, but it was the right decision in order to accomplish those things I had set out to accomplish. It's a big leap of faith though, because your freshman year, you got bumped out of the varsity lineup and didn't even make it to yeah. state. It wasn't like you were like state <laughs> champ your freshman year, right? No, it's, it's very true. I walked into a tough team in Naperville North and I didn't start the beginning of the season because I, I decided I wasn't going to cut weight. In order to make the lineup, I had to cut weight. And so Conant was the big tournament back then and the Dvorak and Mm -hmm. I had missed those. And I can't recall if somebody had gotten hurt or if I had, if I had said to myself, you know what, I can earn that spot. It's not that much weight. I'm going to, I'm going to cut down and try and make the team. And as the season went on, I got bigger and bigger. 
couldn't make the weight anymore and, and couldn't earn, keep the spot. But I had a lot of faith in the training I had put in in that off season. And I can see some of that progression and knew that like, all right, I have a knack for this. And if I just put more time into it, it's, it's going to happen. And you made a huge jump. You went, you know, I, I, only three losses, lost to TJ in the semis. So what do you think yes. was the biggest change between that freshman and sophomore year? Just the summer training? I, I think it's a summer training and the mentality, mm. right? I had worked a lot on mindset. I still do. If you listen to that podcast with Travis, I still, I still focus a lot on mindset. Um, and thinking, I'm just going to be aggressive, physical wrestler. You're not going to stop me. I'm going to outcondition everybody. And you're going to have to go through a lot to beat me was my mindset. And that was what I think carried me forward. Because once I knew in my head that if I committed to this thing and I was physical and I was strong and I could make it for the technique, no one's going to be able to hang. And that was sort of the philosophy I brought to it and gave me the confidence to move forward. And what do you remember about that match with TJ? Oh man, <laughs> it was so interesting, right? I listened to your podcast with Reggie and those guys were just the best, right? And, um, you know, when I was in junior high, I was going to the Iowa wrestling camps and we would drive to the University of Iowa to watch their dual meets and Steve and Joe and TJ were just the icons. But I do remember I took them down in that match and that was like the best wow. thing ever, right? Yeah. But the the bigger thing that stands out to me was how strong he was and he got me on the uh, he was on top and got my wrist and I couldn't take him off my wrist I could not peel his hands off my wrist and I was going this is what strength is and when you're strength strong like that it has a real mental impact on the opponent mm -hmm. you can't get away and so I was going right I have some work to do and I really got to work on this strength thing because if I can do that to other people you know, they're not going to want to get on the mat. <laughs> right. So that's kind of how I thought about it. It was a, it was a really cool experience though. He was one I mean, of the best. In the semis at assembly hall, Saturday morning, man, the place must've gone crazy when you got that takedown. Oh, it was nuts. It was so fun. And who knows, maybe, maybe he fell asleep or right. something for a split <laughs> second. Right. That's probably what happened. Yeah. But regardless, it was a really cool experience. And to get third as a sophomore back then when it was only two divisions was a huge deal. So like that is like, and that's a big weight too, like 140 or whatever it was. Like that's a, that's, that's a right. tough, tough feat, you know? Yeah. You know, one, one, 135 to 170 right. There's a lot of kids there and, and um, to end up in the semis against him, I don't even remember how I was feeling at that time. I was probably just beside myself mm -hmm. and, um, but it was, it was neat. It was a memory I'd have forever. Right. Yeah. Great. And then when did you start working with Andy Rain from Wisconsin? Oh, wow. Andy must have been going into my senior year. We would drive up to one of the northern suburbs. It was quite far and, and do, you know, workouts with Andy. And <laughs> that guy had strength on next level, too. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he had a gut wrench that wouldn't quit. It felt like he was going to snap your ribs. And again, I was going, oh, that's how you have to do it, right? So it was a really neat experience too. And, and just, you know, from a guy who coached a college program, it was super cool. Yeah, I mean, like, so it's crazy to hear you, like, going around kind of a la carte to all these places because there were no academies back then. No. I mean, so when I, when, you know, sixth, seventh grade, you know, we met the Martinez's, right? Izzy and his mm -hmm. brother and his dad. 
his dad was wonderful. I mean, he was just a technician. He had those guys drilling like crazy. And, and Tannenbaum was going, working out with those guys and, and Buzz Dyer. And so we would dabble with those guys. I'd go to Wheaton Warrenville and dabble with those guys. I'd go to Sycamore High School and, mm-hmm. and work out with the coach out there. He was, he was great, Steve Knight. Dan uh, Knight. I would go to Andy. I didn't know you worked at Dan, with Dan Knight. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. We would drive to Sycamore High School, which was like an hour and 15 minutes away. I'd get done with Naperville North. We'd drive out there, and I'd work out with him and his team. He was just such a great guy. I mean, he was like a four-time Iowa State champ. Undefeated. You know, undefeated. He was a yeah. stud. So I worked out with him for, for a couple of years uh, when I could. And so, yeah, I just we went anywhere where we could learn something, mm-hmm. right? And I was fortunate my parents invested in that. I'm like, hey, if you want to get to this place, we got to get you these practices. And um, they sacrificed a lot to do that. And that really paid off because I got exposure to so many different things, mm-hmm. right? And um, learned different styles and techniques and mentalities. It was really great. And were you yeah. someone who during the season you were doing two-a-days or what was your what was your routine when you were during the season? Yeah, oftentimes I did, right? So either coming in the morning with a couple of teammates you wanted to come in or I'd meet Coach Champ up there in the morning and we would we would drill and spar and then we'd work out in the afternoon. And sometimes, you know, like I said, after those high school practices, I'd be like, okay, I got to go out and I'm going to go get another coaching session somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And then certainly in the summertime, if – if I wasn't doing a wrestling session, then I was running bleachers or I was training on, you know, road running or lifting or something like that. It, um, you know, one of the things, you know, my dad had taught me at that time too was, and this might've been from Andy. I can't remember. It was like 365. You're always doing something, mm. whether that's, Hey, you're going to do some visualization. You're going to do some conditioning, some stretching, some strength. You're always doing something. So I filled the time, Right. Um, immerse myself in something that would help. Wow. You were all into it. And you were into visualization back then. Uh, Say that again. You were into visualization back then. Yes. I didn't see that. Who taught you that? Yeah. So uh, again, I'm going to give a lot of credit to my dad, right? He's a big mindset person. And it was, you know, stuff coming in is what you're going to get out. And so, you know, I can remember before my matches sitting down and just thinking through, you know, this is the move. This is the position. This is the outcome that I'm looking for. This is me getting my hand raised, being very intentional about that and, and putting myself in the situation before the situation happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, and that might've come from, you know, I know Dan Gable talked a lot about that to his Iowa wrestlers and just like, you got to see it. You got to see it. You got to believe it. You got to be there before you're in the situation. So it's not a surprise. Right. Right. And I thought about that a lot. I still do all the time. Yeah, I mean it's it's a powerful tool. And and when you thought about, you know, going forward from high school to college, was Bormet at Wisconsin at that time or Michigan? He was at Wisconsin. So did you almost go there? I did. Um he came to my house and picked me up with Barry Davis. I remember that. Wow. I drove down from Wisconsin, picked me up, and uh, I spent a couple of days right on my recruiting trip there and met, you know, Donnie Pritzloff and the team and I uh, did a couple workouts with them. Uh, I visited Illinois, I visited Michigan, I visited Northwestern. And uh, when it came down to it, right, we sort of stack ranked all the things that were important to me. And you know, Michigan checked all the boxes, but Wisconsin was the fallback. It was close enough, but a little bit far. Of course, you got, you know, Barry, right, the most strongest wrestler pound for pound in Iowa history. You got Sean. 
and it was a hard, hard decision. Um, but hey, look, I, I, I was fortunate to have that decision to make, right? Yeah, I mean, Barry Davis, his energy is is just insane. He's so excited, and I could see him being a great recruiter. And then Barmet's, you know, so so practical, and they just is such a planner. I would. I did not know you got recruited by Illinois, and everyone says if Mark Johnson comes calling, it's tough to say no. Did you get recruited by Coach Johnson, or was it one of his assistants? One of his assistants, yeah. 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 And I had felt at that time that so many of the great wrestlers were going there, um, and if I wanted to give myself the best chance to compete, it felt like Michigan was probably the, the place to go do that. And the academics at Michigan were really what drew me over there too, right? Yeah. So being able to get Michigan degree with Michigan wrestling, that package – that just did it right. You see the hat. I believe maize and maize blue. Um, I have made, I have Michigan shoes on the whole deal. Right. Uh, that, and that's really what kind of put me over, put me over the hump. Michigan's such a great, just a great institution. And, you know, growing up in the Midwest, everyone knows Michigan and, and loves the colors yeah. and the football's so big and the, you know, the wrestling is, is so strong too. And so when you got there, by the end of your career, you had some, some real studs in the team, Rovat, Bertine, Otto yeah. Olsen, and I know yeah. you trained to be ready to roll into college, ready, but how, yeah. how was the transition for you day one going into that, that room? Frankly, it was really hard, right? So, you know, I just listened to your Jeff McGinnis podcast. And he was referencing the two young men who passed away in 1997 from cutting weight. Well, one of those was a Michigan wrestler at 157. Wow. Well, it wasn't 157 at that point. And I was planning to redshirt because they had a guy in the lineup. Well, all of a sudden they don't. It's an unfortunate event. And so I was the guy who was going to roll in and, and start. And it was a hard transition, right, between the academics and the program and, and, the, and the Big Ten. Tensity um, of the Big Ten season was hard. Mm-hmm. And I think I was a little bit shell-shocked. I, I didn't know what the transition would really be like. And – but like that's the way it rolled. The team needed somebody to, to go, and I won the spot. And hey, you got to go. You got to go compete. Right. So the gentleman who passed away, you took his spot in the lineup. Yep. Wow. Oh my goodness, I did not realize that. So, yeah. so that was your freshman year or sophomore year? That was my freshman year, and uh, so then I was going to take my redshirt my sophomore year. And so I was redshirting, and it was after Christmas in January sometime, maybe mid-January, Otto Olsen tore two uh, uh, ligaments in his knee, his ACL and MCL. He was at 174. I competed at 157 my freshman year. Yeah. I can remember – I remember sitting in the house on the couch, phone rings. It's, it's Coach Trost, Kirk Trost. says, hey, man, we got a situation. We need to pull you out of redshirt, and we're going to move you up to 174. I was like – what? Well, it's two weight classes up. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm training. I'm, I'm in good shape, but I wasn't ready for that. But again, it's one of those things the, the the team needed somebody in that spot. I was the best person to take that spot. And so, you know, right towards the tail end of the big 10 season, I jumped in the lineup and started wrestling 174, which I pretty much weighed one 174. Holy smokes. Yeah. That, and that was a tough transition because the guys were so big. It was just a little bit of a different style than 157. But it worked out. I mean, I played sixth at the Big Tens. I went to the NCAA tournament. I did not anticipate doing that. I, you know, won team points and got some great experience. And and by the time that was over, I go, I'm two years into competing. 
red shirt's done. I'm just going to keep rowing and we're going to go through four years and we're just going to go hard. And that's such a crazy way to start your career. Cause you could have, you know, the, you know, the traditional yeah. route retrot that freshman year and then competed your actual weight as a sophomore versus going up at 174. It's like those that's two right. years must've flown by the first two. They, they flew by. Right. And because I was on a four year track where they had a full academic load and, and, and the season and all that stuff. So there was a lot there. And then my junior year, I came down to 165 and then finished out those two years because Ryan Bertine came in, took the 157 slot. Mm -hmm. And that was really where I should have been. 165 was a, a good weight class for me. Yeah. And yeah. you, you really hit your stride then, you know, ranked top 10, you know, most of the year yep. and you made it real far at the tournament. And I look back at some of those big 10 brackets. That was a loaded 165. You had uh, Matt yep. Lackey, who's from my hometown area. I mean, he was yep. dynamic and, Yes. And all of these guys, you know, Indiana, Wisconsin, yeah. Iowa, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and um, yeah, week in, week out, you're never getting bad competition, right? And right. so you're going to show up, you know, we're going to go wrestle Penn State. They put somebody else in line. It doesn't matter. The next guy is just as good, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's always that intensity. And it was a really tough bracket for sure. I think I did wrestle Matt. I might have lost to Matt in the quarterfinals or something like that by a couple points. Um, he was a stud. Right. I think he was a Moline guy. I think yeah. he went to high school. He was just, he was so good. And, but yeah, I mean, in both years, uh, 65 was 57 when I was a freshman, really tough weight classes, but, but I did well, you know, I felt good about it. I had some really, really fun matches for the team. Yeah. And, and of course you guys beat Iowa. Your, was it your junior year or senior year? So my junior year, we beat Iowa at Iowa, which was just incredible because Dan Gable was was announcing, right? So I can remember going to get dinner after the meet. You look up on the TV and there's Dan Gable announcing your meet. You know, wow. Martelli gets the takedown. I was like, whoa, Dan Gable is announcing my name on, on this meet. <laughs> so it was really neat. Um, you know, I used to go there for camps and to watch him coach. And then the next year we hosted them at home for the first time in I think it was like 18 years. And we beat them. And at that point, what they would do, they probably still do it. They draw a card and they figure out what weight class is going to start. They picked my weight class to start. Wow. So that was the first match. And I was like, okay, here we go. And it was, uh, it was supposed to be Ben Shirk and ended up being Matt Anderson, who I think the next year was a, a finalist. <coughs> and I was fortunate enough to – oh, bless you. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all right. I got him in a fireman's carry really early on in the match and, and you know, won the first match. We ended up splitting five and five and, and won 18 to 16. Wow. And I did not, you beat him two years in awesome. a row. That's crazy. Yeah. It was awesome, man. I did, so you're at Carver the first year and yeah. you know, like you said, being an Illinois guy, I was real close. And so I'm sure you'd been there before and you know, uh, Carver's yeah. just crazy. So you guys, I did not realize you beat him in Carver that year. Was it a close one or did you guys blow him out? I don't think it was, I don't think it was a blowout and I don't think it was close. You know, mm -hmm. let's call it five to six points, but we had some really dominating wins. I mean, Robat just had an incredible major decision. Michael Zicky had a battle there. He always used to battle with Billy Zadek. Um, I had a pretty good match that night. And then next year, yeah, that was, that was the meat of the year for us. Wow. Right. It was just really, really exciting to be able to do that. And um, we still talk about my teammates, and I still talk about it to this day. Oh, you get, cool. I, that's incredible. Just like the Michigan guys this year will talk about that Big Ten title. Oh, I man. mean, that is oh. 
insane. Totally. Yeah, what a what a year. I had Miles Amin on recently, and you know, I love Bormat, I love the whole Torella, all those guys are just class act. Yeah. And um, yeah, to have Amin on here talking about it, and you look about look at how Penn State, you know, won that duel pretty convincingly, and that had to be a huge blow. But for Michigan to come back and and win the Big Ten, Team One Hundred, I mean, phew, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it all came together, right? Yeah. So tell me about you know you you were on some team teams with great guys you know Rovat was probably a little big for you but you know Otto Olsen did you wrestle with him quite a bit I did train with Otto what um, was his style like I, that's a name that you oh, know a lot was, of people remember but I didn't know much about him he was just he was just a brawler and he was in the best shape of anyone I've ever met wow he you could not wear that guy out ever he wouldn't quit. There was a never say no attitude to that guy. He was incredibly tough and um, wasn't the best technician, but it didn't matter. He would just grind. Mm -hmm. And if ever you needed a good workout, man, Otto is the guy to give it to you. Um, I worked out with Mike Kolzicki and, and Mike was just, a, he was another St. Ed's guy. Him and Andy graduated St. Ed's at the same time. Just incredibly fast. Uh, he was a great technician. So he was fun to work out with. Um, last couple of years, I spent a lot of time with Ryan Bertine. We became good friends and training partners. Um, and then I had, you mentioned Chirellas, right? So Mark Chirella was my teammate, Ryan and Josh's brother. So I worked a lot with Mark and mm. I mean, look, I had a tremendous class. All the guys that came in, in my recruiting class, whether you were a walk-on or a scholarship athlete made all four years through the program, which is rare. Wow. That is rare. And I'm friends with those guys to this day. And they were just tough, tough guys. And because look, some guys will never wrestle a match, a varsity match. Mm -hmm. And you know how tough the sport is and show up to a big 10 room for four years in a row and never compete is an extremely hard thing to do. I think it's harder than competing, quite mm -hmm. frankly. And we had those kind of guys um, on my team. I was fortunate that I had a lot of good training partners like that. Yeah. And you, you know, when you come from Michigan, when you're done with wrestling in college, the alumni network is massive. And you mentioned earlier that you thought you had a, career and finance lined up tell us about that yeah so in the summertime we would we would work or we had to make some money and so um there was an alumni and we would go to his house and do all sorts of yard work uh, mike and michael zicky and i quite a bit and he had a brother-in-law or a son-in-law excuse me who, who worked for chase or jp morgan or something like that and he was helping me get in, uh, interviews there and get set up with a, an entry-level position there and I don't remember why, but for one reason or another, that just, it just fell through. Mm -hmm. And so, as I mentioned, I graduated in four years. Well, most, well, every other guy that I came in with um, stayed, they either redshirted or they stayed to train because Rovat stayed on and was, and was training. And so when I left, all my friends stayed there. I went home and I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? Right. Like, well, Are we you panicking a little bit? Like graduating oh. from Michigan, not having it. I'm sure a lot of people at Michigan have sweet jobs when they're done. I mean, and you, yeah. you were probably close to having that. I mean, yeah. what was the thought process coming home like that? I was, it was a little bit daunting, right? Because I was always knew what the next thing was. Mm -hmm. right? We talked about, Hey, coming in freshman year, I knew where I wanted to be. And sophomore year, I knew where I wanted to be. Senior year, I knew I wanted to go to Big Ten school. Getting there, I wanted to be, you know, all Big Ten, all American, all those things. You sort of knew that. And all of a sudden, you had this ambiguity and this time on your hands. You're like, well, what am I going to do? Like, I, I got to go get a career. I got to make money. And fortunately, wrestling helped me do that. 
mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, Sean had left Michigan uh, to to commit to some family, you know, things that he had going on and started overtime wrestling and called me and said, hey, starting this program, I need a guy. Can you come help me, you know, build out overtime wrestling and coach here? That led to an introduction to parents and led to an introduction in sales and, and you know, the flywheel got going and yeah, and, yeah, the rest is history. But it um, it was definitely challenging, right? And because um, I wasn't applying at you know, wasn't sending out applications all over the place because I felt like, well, I got this thing I want to go do. And, but that's okay. It was time to go home and figure it out. And is it true your dad was in sales his whole life? Yep. Wow, yeah, absolutely. that's uh, that's yeah. cool because you know when when you hear about tech sales, you know the first time I heard about it was from a mentor of mine. And I was like thinking car sales. I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, he had like a stigma to it. So like, if you know someone who's in sales though, it's different. Um, how did you, how did you yes. make the jump into tech sales? How did I make the jump into tech sales? So, well, I started off, uh, it was funny. My mom's been in sales too. And she's mm-hmm. probably a better seller than my dad and myself. She's fantastic. But I started off in a commission only job right out of, school right so to your point most kids come out of school and they here's your salary is a little signing bonus there you go i went into a job that says you earn what you kill mm-hmm. right actually we're going to give you a little money you can pay it back every month on a draw <laughs> so talk <laughs> about brutal talk about picking a challenging way to go into sales and they said here's a here's a phone book and a phone go make it happen well you know i spent four or five years doing that and made it happen and started making money and and, but decided like that wasn't really the thing for me um, for the next you know foreseeable future. And so I shifted and you know got into software and consulting sales. And um, when I moved to Colorado, I said, you know what? I want to work for a local company. I don't want to keep traveling and found the tech company. And that first tech company got me really intrigued about what software was doing. Mm-hmm. This is probably 10 years ago. And once I got a taste of it, I said, okay, I'm going to go find the best software company in Colorado to work for. And I started recruiting them. I started reaching out to that company and said, I'm going to work for you. Gave me an interview, got the job. And wow. that, that position there really sort of catapulted my sales career. I really learned sales process and methodologies and things like that. And, and I just sort of leveraged that to, to keep moving. And, um, you know, get into sales leadership. I love, like you said, how systematic and like process driven it is. It's not like just a, a schmooze, you know, you're not like schmoozing someone over. It's a huge buying team you're going after. There's so many steps. There's, you know, it's a lot like a, uh, you know, everyone says sales are like the business athletes and it's a little, it's a little cheesy, but it's a little bit true. But I often <laughs> think about it like, you know, preparing for like a big game or preparing for like a, a battle, so to speak, you know, each deal is so complicated and there's so many moving parts that if you're not sis- have systems around it, you're going to struggle. And so that, that's one of my favorite parts about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe in the sales athleticism philosophy because you have to prepare for the unexpected. Mm-hmm. Right? You got to prepare that somebody else gets put in the lineup. Oh, I wasn't ready for that. I had trained all these videos for this person. Well, oh, well, there's somebody new in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. Just like in, in sales, well, there's a new buyer. Right. You got to deal with that situation, right? Um, or you get injured and go, well, what do I do now? Right. It's just like you lost a sale. Well, what do you do now? You pick up the phone, you call somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. And so those, those, those skills you learn wrestling, whether it's hard work or perseverance or, you know, handling defeat or being audible ready, 
it all applies to sales. And then to your point, you put a process behind it. And if you stick to the process, like you will be successful. Yeah. And I read on your LinkedIn that you did a yearly plan when you were still selling and, you know, would, would mm-hmm. have different like routines and habits. Do you remember anything that you did like on a weekly or, or daily basis that really helped you like a, a little routine or, or tactic? Yeah. So I, I'm a believer in immersing yourself in your business, right? And that you need to know your business and your customer theoretically better than they may know their own business. Mm-hmm. And so every day I'm researching my business and my, and my accounts every single day. Um, it's just like visualization or getting your run in every day. And so I never wanted to be on a phone call and having the news delivered to me that I could have found out somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the worst. They're like, you know, we acquired right? this company, right? And you're like, yeah, I did. But really, you're like, yeah, I have sure. no idea. <laughs> yeah. So I would set up alerts and feeds that would come to me every day. And the other thing I would do is constantly research the people on my accounts because there's always change. Yeah. And finding those people who are new is like, oh, that's a great conversation to go have because I know I can help that person. Mm-hmm. So that's something I did. I did every day. Um, and then in terms of just an annual plan, right? It's just sort of breaking down whatever that number is. If you got to go sell a million dollars, well, I want to sell a million five. And the way I would think about it was I have an 11 month calendar, not a 12 month calendar. Mm. So how do I get 11, five and 11 months, right? Because I don't want to end up that last month of the year. I don't want to end up with 10 seconds left in the third period. You go, I better get this takedown. Mm-hmm. I want to have enough takedowns or enough sales by the 11th month to know I've done my thing. You know, everything else is, is bonus points. Man, so that is, that's great to think about it like that. I'm going to, I'm going to use that because it's, it's something that we're going through now. And you know, every year it's a little daunting, um, but it, I, I, I kind of forget that trick of like adding a little bit to your quota so that you're getting, you're shooting for way above that, you know, and if, and if you fall short, at least you're at your number. Yeah, it's, it's right. It's, it's a mental trick. I talked about, you know, mental games or, or, or you know, mentality and that's all it is. It's no different in selling that it is in sport, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. If you plan for the expectation there's so many uncontrollables that you're likely not to hit the expectation. So why not train for above the expectation? And when I compare it to wrestling, the ref doesn't give the points you think they should get, or they didn't see this. You didn't see that. You put enough points on the board early. Mm-hmm. You, don't have to really, you don't have to rely on, on somebody else. Right. Right. No, that's awesome. And, and you know, you, you're just by researching you, it's clear you're big into self-development and I love all, all that kind of stuff. You know, the, the books, the, uh, you know, the routines. And I read that one of your teens is you, you get up early and run and that you're an ultra marathon, ultra runner. And I ultra marathon is, is such a, you gotta be specific. You ran 200 mile races and that is just yes, absolutely insane. How did you yes. get into this? Well, I think I was at a point in my life where I knew that I needed to do something a little bit different, but that I really enjoy the mental and physical challenge of something. And so, I mean, funny story. So I lived in Chicago, I would run Lakeshore Drive and I would do 50 minutes down Lakeshore Drive. And I'm like, I can't do anything more than 50 minutes. I don't know, like, what's my problem? I'm not a runner. Mm -hmm. My wife is like, maybe you should just slow down a little bit. Just slowed down. Maybe you could run a little bit further. So when I got into distance running, I was like, okay, I'm going to slow my pace down. And lo and behold, I ran 60 minutes and then I could run 70 minutes and then 80 minutes. 
I said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a risk here. I'm gonna sign up for a 50k and see if I can go run 35 miles. And I did. And I got done with that race and said, I'm never doing that again. Really? Well, about a week later, a week later, I go, well, I wonder if I could do 50 miles. What would that be like? So I put a plan together and trained for that and ran 50 miles. I said, I'm never doing that again. And about a week later, I was like, well, they have these things called 100 milers. I wonder if I could run 100. Well, at that point, my friend Travis Macy was getting in. The, he was a, a, like a world-class endurance racer. And he was getting into coaching. And he said, you'll be my first client. I'll train you for free. I'll build the program. And I said, all right, I'm signing up. Wow. Stuck so- to his, and I stuck to his program. And, and the first time out there, I, 27 hours later, I ran 100 miles. Man, I'm looking at your results. You're you're doing well at these things too. So tell me about your yeah. about your uh, training. So you're living in Colorado at this point when you start training for the hundred. That's right. That's right. Got it. So yeah. what was your uh, what was your routine? Do you remember like how many days a week were you running and what was like the breakdown of it? Yeah, well, I mean, coming from wrestling, I'm not built for endurance. Right? It's like <laughs> built for anaerobic capacity, like high output. You know, for for ten minutes. And so I had to, I had to figure out, well, how am I going to adapt that to this distance stuff? And I never really did, right? I never became somebody who was running 70, 80, 100 mile weeks. That's kind of typical training pattern. I might run 25 to 40 miles a week, but it was, the thought was I will put in better. I'll be super intentional, better quality workouts versus quantity. Mm-hmm. And the way that I'm going to overcome the quantity is I'm going to run elevation. Yeah. And so I would run a lot of vert from my house to the top of this mountain down the street. It's 2000 feet of climb. I'm going to go run that, that type of thing. And so on a Monday, I might do a five mile run on a Tuesday. I might do a five mile run. I'll skip a Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday were hard days. And one of the techniques I learned was I would run really hard on a Friday night and really hard on a Saturday morning, Hmm. giving my body very little time to recover and training through tired legs, tired legs uphill. And then, so again, that's mental training. These races are mental. They're, they're physical, but they're way more mental. Mm-hmm. So when I got out on the course, I'm like, I can handle 10,000 feet of climb. I've done this before. I haven't done 100 miles, but I can keep my feet going. Right. That was the, sort of the thought process to that. So what was like the longest you ran during your training? Do you remember? Like a, I think like my a, longest training run was probably 23 miles, right? Wow. We, yeah. Running ultra right? people are probably freaking out at the sound of that. That's like not what you hear about. And uh, it reminds me of, you know, John Reeder and Chris Bone with the Wisconsin coaches. They did a hundred oh, last yeah. year and they came on and talked nice. about it right after they trained for the whole thing on treadmills. And when they got, <laughs> oh, to, goodness. when they got to the race, all the, all the people were like, Hey, how many ultras have you done? They're like, this is our first one. They're like, you signed up for a hundred mile race. You've never done a rate. They're like, never done anything. And of course they finished, but they went through some serious pain caves. Um, oh, did, you, yeah. did you go through any uh, pain caves on that first hundred? Absolutely. I mean, I talk about expecting unexpected. You don't, if you've never gone to 25 or 40 or 60 miles, like you don't know what to expect. And absolutely you hit pain caves. Like nutrition stops working or you can't eat because you're too tired or you get dehydrated and you're overheating. You roll an ankle and you get hurt. You're alone in the woods and it's dark and you're going, what am I doing here? (laughs) So there's like a, there's a pain cave and there's just a mental cave too. And what I always tried to do, I have a friend that I'm helping train for one right now. As I told him the other day, 
Your job is to keep yourself steady mentally the whole time. You're never too excited because you're doing great, and you're never too low because you're suffering. If you keep yourself in the middle, you're saving a lot of mental points mm -hmm. to spend later in the race. And that's how I've approached it. And, you know, think about a long tournament, right? You got a three-day tournament. You got wrestlebacks. Like, it's one match at a time. You never look at the big picture, kind of steady as she goes. And that's how I approach these races. But I do get a lot of people going, you only run 35-mile weeks? I'm going, it's not about the distance. I know that I'm putting in the work, and it's good work for me. And the rest of it, I'm going to figure out, you know, in, in, in the way I approach the race. That's awesome. Such a relief to Isn't hear that. Cool? Be yeah. Because one of the reasons, so I've done a, uh, I've done a marathon. I've done a 30 mile Spartan race and I, I love that whole nice. community. I think it's fascinating. Like in a past life, I had a podcast with my, with my sales buddy. We interviewed like Courtney Dewalter, who is like oh, man. a freak Forget and it. unbelievable. Yeah. So, um, we interviewed yeah. Rich Roll and so like love all that stuff, you know, and, um, but like the more, you know, when you run something like a 30 or, or a marathon, if, which isn't even that long, you're like, man, the training kind of gets in the way of life sometimes. Like it's so much mm -hmm. running and like you got to spend six hours on a Saturday when you, know, you want to hang yeah. out with your friends or whatever. But it's, you know, the, the routine of it's awesome and the payoff at the end is awesome. But what stopped yeah. me from going well, further was that I thought I would have to like double the training. But it sounds like you had it pretty well mapped out where it was, you know, wasn't as, as daunting as one might think to run a hundred. The no, training but to your point, though, I mean, I had three little kids and I didn't expect my wife to have me gone three days a week for six hours. Right. So I'd leave the house at three thirty in the morning. Wow. Right. Four in the morning. I'd get back at seven thirty, eight o'clock. OK, it's breakfast time because I was making a choice to go do this thing. It wasn't her thing. Mm -hmm. And so that allowed me to balance the family. And I mean, two nights ago, we left the house at 9 p.m. and we went and ran until midnight. Right. Kids are in bed. <laughs> We're going to go on train. Dude, you're a maniac. And so, <laughs> so you, 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 no, no, you just, you find the time and you find the balance. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and you shifted around your other priorities. And honestly, I feel like when I've trained for those big things, I've, I've done some adventure racing stuff as well. The rest of my life has always gone better because if now I have to really structure and think about how am I going to intentionally manage my time? Like this part of the morning is training. This part of the day is work and family. And this part of the day is training again. And I think you get more done that way for me. Oh, at there, least. There's no question. And it sounds like right. counterintuitive, but the more, more dialed in you are, uh, you know, the more structure you have for the rest of your things. Tell me about the adventure races. What kind of, what, what's that about? Yeah. So same gentleman who got me in the distance running, Travis got me into these adventure races. He said, uh, you know, you're in good shape. You're strong and you can do, you, you know, you're, you can run. You ever thought of doing a multi-sport thing? I said, no, I don't even know what that is. So I right. uh, got a mountain bike, um, got a, a harness to climb. And basically you go out, it's either 6, 12, 24 hours. And I had a teammate who was a wrestling coach with me here at a local high school. And you'd show up the night before and they'd give you a map of, and coordinates. You pop out your coordinates and you'd bring all your gear. And then you'd show up at the start line. They'd say, go. Hopefully you wrote down the right coordinates <laughs> and you knew like this first section, we're going to run and then we're going to paddle. There's always, there's always a boating section and then we're going to pick up our bikes. And then we know we have to do some navigation orienteering. Maybe we have to rappel or do some ropes courses. Again, the stuff I didn't grow up with the stuff in Chicago, right? I just mm -hmm. kind of learned it. And it was really, really neat because 
there were times where I was definitely struggling and Andrew would be like, dude, I got you. I'm going to pick you up. Mm-hmm. There were times when Andrew was struggling. I'm like, give me your bike. Like, I got your bike. Let's go. We're going. Mm-hmm. No man left behind kind of thing. And, and um, so it was really neat, right? Because you're, you were changing disciplines and team environment. And since him and I were both wrestlers, we did, I think we did really well at, at the, at the, at the game of it, if you will. Right. What's the, uh, what's the most memorable race you did on the adventure scene? Uh, we did a 24-hour race in Winter Park, Colorado, which was really, really fun because, I mean, you're mountain biking in the mountains at night. Uh, you're rafting down the Colorado River. Wow. Um, right? You're navigating through the mountains. There's moose. There's all sorts of wildlife out there. And we had several things that just went wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first 10 minutes, a bolt comes out of his bike that almost ended the race in the first 10 minutes. And we figured out how to fix it with spare parts that we had from other equipment. Um, my bike broke with probably 20 miles left. We figured out how to fix it. Like every 10 minutes, we had to keep fixing it. And you just sort of plan for things to go wrong. So when mm-hmm. they go wrong, you take them in stride and then kind of race to the finish. But that was really fun because it was just different weather, day and night adversity all that stuff it was cool that sounds awesome my buddy colin Akers yeah. is trying to get me into it but you know living in chicago i'm like how am i going to prepare for like the kayaking and all that but there's definitely a way if you want to do it and it's uh it sounds so fun to, to be doing it with someone and like relying on them in a team like that well listen you come out to colorado and we'll we'll help you out dude i'm going yeah. to i that sounds so fun i love uh love everything i'm hearing about it and so last last couple of things and we'll sign off Sure. How did you, are you coaching out in Colorado right now? I'm not. You're not. Okay. Um, Were you though? Yes. When I first moved out here, I volunteered. Yeah. Um, It was hard to balance. It's such a time commitment. Yeah. And you know, cutting out at two 30 or three was hard for me at the time with, with work, but I did for a couple of years. And then once my first kid was born, uh, I, I stopped coaching. Yeah. He's now 10. And I'm really considering going back to the school and, and volunteering again. I'm, I'm excited to do that. Is he wrestling? He's not yet. He's not sure if it's his sport. So we'll, we'll see. Man, he, he did rugby this year. Then he did wonderful in rugby. So that's, that's pretty sweet. Um, yeah, yeah, no, the whole parenting thing is, is probably a separate podcast, but you know, I, I <laughs> just heard a couple of uh, things you had said from the, uh, from the, the podcast I listened to prepping for this. Um, the yeah. last thing I wanted to ask you was, I know you're a big reader. What's uh, one of your two, one or two favorite books that's really had an impact on you? Yeah. Think about that. Um, well, or any like YouTube videos you've watched or gifted. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. I've been gifting a book lately on Bill McDermott. Bill McDermott is the, was, was, was I think, I don't know if he's the current CEO of SAP mm-hmm. and his climb from like, as a teenager running a deli, the corner office at SAP and what that did for him was, was really, really cool. So I, I really enjoyed that book. Um, so that's the one I've been gifting the most. I'm looking around my office. I have tons of books. I've never um, heard of that one. I'm going to, I'm going to find that one and put it in the show notes here. Yeah. I'll send it to you. And let me think about what else is on my nightstand. Um, you know, extreme ownership, extreme leadership, Love right, it. Both of those books. And I have, I have Jocko's field manual on my nightstand. Those books are great for just resetting the mental. Um, and so I, I read a wide variety of stuff. I read history, World War II type stuff to, 
leadership and everything in between, but those ones stand out right now. Have you ever heard of Jack Carr? He's a no. fiction author. So he, um, no. so I'm huge into Jocko. I love Jocko. So Jack Carr was a Navy SEAL and has been on the Jocko podcast. And he's, he wrote, he's written six fiction books. The first one's called Terminalist and it just came out as a series oh, on Amazon. Yeah. But these books are unbelievable. And it's the first fiction book I've ever read that I actually like couldn't put it down. So I'm on the, <laughs> I'm on the third one now. But if you like, you know, the Jocko stuff, you'll love the J Jack Carr series. It's called the first one's Terminalist. Highly recommend it. I watched the show. My wife and I watched it through. I've always envisioned myself like in my fantasy brain of being <laughs> Jason Bourne. Yeah. Right. Love and, the Bourne and somehow series. having that skill set. So anything that has to do with CIA, espionage, all that kind of stuff, I, I, I love. Um, and now you asked about like podcasts, like movie. I love um uh, things like Meru and, and Free Solo and, and things that are these people just doing amazing big things. I watch a lot of those documentaries. They, they, you know, I'll be on the treadmill watching those things, getting getting motivated. Meru so. is one of the most underrated climbing docs that's out there. Like <sighs> Jimmy Chen is the man. And that one has some real freaking turning points where like you can't even expect yeah, it. it. Um, I mean, there's, no. there's so many good. I love the climbing docs. Uh, is it 14 Peaks that just came out? That's a big one. That's a big one. That and guy's so you, good. You, he makes it look easy. Like <laughs> that's it's insane. That, that's oh, the one crazy. about that one. Like the other ones, there's real drama. There is on this, but like, he's just so disciplined that there's really never any doubt in 14 peaks. No, there's not. Watch, you can watch Valley uprising. If you like climbing stuff, it's the history of climbing through um, Yosemite national park. That's really cool. Perfect. Um, yeah. Any of that stuff where people are doing big things like that. I just, I just love reading about and watching and, and uh, daydreaming that one day I could do that stuff, right? <laughs> did you ever get into the, uh, is it the Iron Cowboy? He's been on the podcast. He did the 50-50-50. He's a wrestler. I have not. Oh, really? Yeah, he's that. a wrestler. James Lawrence is the guy, and he did 50 Ironmans in 50 states in 50 days. And it's Come ludicrous on. to even say, but... Uh, Come on. Yeah, it's called. I think it's called the Iron Cowboy, and... Um, Okay. I, I don't remember which episode he's been on. It's been probably two years, but yeah, he was a wrestler, grew up in Canada of all places. And uh, yeah, he's wow. doing some insane things too. I'll check it out. Yeah, definitely. Um, hey, last question, Charles, and we'll sign off here is yeah. podcast is called wrestling change your life. How did wrestling impact or change your life? I mean, I just got the chills with the question because I feel like it shaped everything in my life to where I'm at today right? It's a sport that showed up on my radar by luck in gym class. So I was fortunate to have a school that offered it. Um, happened to find a club that we were hosting at our high school that I could go to. Um, happened to have a family that, you know, mom and dad that supported and, and sacrificed a lot to get me, you know, these places. Uh, Michigan happened to come calling, right? <laughs> Um, and they needed somebody to compete in those weight classes. So those things just happen to happen. And I mean, from the friends I have today to the jobs I have, to the lessons I teach my kid, my kids, right. It's like work ethic, integrity, resiliency, oh man, resiliency, and just like stick to itness. Those things from wrestling changed my life a hundred percent. And there's not a day that goes by I don't think about it. I mean, I look around my walls and I have like 
Michigan, Michigan, my degree, all this stuff around here that just brings me back to that time where those lessons, you know, shaped the way I think about life now. So, I mean, it's the most incredible sport, I think, for any young person to be a part of, whether it's for a year or for, you know, two decades. It's just, it's great. Wow. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I I know that you're at MongoDB now, a very popular tech company. He's hiring folks. If you're out there in the field, give Charles a call. Uh, Man, this has been fun. I've been really looking forward to it all day and we'll definitely stay in touch, Charles. I really appreciate you coming on. Oh man, thank you for asking me. It's been a fun trip down memory lane for me and I hope people can take something, you know, something useful away from this. Thanks for listening to this episode with Charles Martelli. This episode was presented by Spartan Combat. Please go to SpartanCombat.com to place your custom team apparel orders for the 2022-2023 season. To find all past episodes, go to WrestlingChangeMyLife.com. We'll see you next time.